This episode is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Randy Adler at Dentons. You're starting a company, you need operating docs, you're raising money, you need litigation, you need a lawyer. The number one lawyer in New York City that won't break your wallet, Randy Adler at Dentons. And of course, our other presenting sponsor, Canvas. They know how you feel. Dude, I'm not spinning bars. Really serious question for you. All right. And this is something I've wanted to ask you for a long time, but I feel awkward about it. Yeah. Is it Mika or Micah? <laughs> it's Micah. It is Micah. It means who is like God. It's a close to Hebrew name. Yeah. So this is a podcast. So nobody can actually see you. Mm-hmm. So let me do a little descriptions. How old are you? I'm What's 26 your... years of age. I was born on the 27th of December, 88. Weight, height, color, birthplace. I'm 6'1". I'm a big black guy. I was <laughs> born in South London. <laughs> so actually, I was born in a place called uh, Camberwell, and then my family moved to a place called Catford, and then we moved to kind of uh, south of Greenwich after that one. Okay, and current big. title and company. So I'm the CEO of uh, Film Funder. We finance some value films, and we create virtual reality films as well. For each episode we record, we want to get into a core life story, something Mm -hmm. that changed your trajectory. Sure. But we didn't prep this at all because for you, we didn't need to. Yeah. I have a feeling you're going to be a frequent guest, (laughs) and we'll just continue to uncover the many layers of Micah. Uh, As our listeners will start to understand, you're pretty special. You're a lover and a fighter, a street rapper, an actor, a tech founder and a friend, and I guess you're Micah Brown. Yeah. But I thought you're supposed to be in Vegas now because when we first talked a month ago, <laughs> you should be battling for your life in Vegas. Yeah. All right. So UFC this is a match. very interesting story. So I about maybe six months ago, I uh, I just I was like, all right, I've been training lots of different ways for a while. I used to do martial arts a while ago, and I was like, let me get back into it. So yeah. they have a gym on the Lower East Side, uh, the UFC gym. So I started training there. Nothing crazy, just like you're in the octagon every now and then. You're just doing a, a bunch of spa drills and stuff. So one day you have to book your session um, on the for the octagon every day. Like, training session. Yeah, at the octagon. Specifically for the octagon, though, you get like an hour session in the octagon to train. So you sign this. There's like this this schedule where you can sign forms and stuff. So I go to this this. What well, the form looked different on this day though. Like I've booked it like a ton of times before. Like this this form looks really different. It's got dates and it's got like whole blocks of six hours. But whatever, I'll just block six hours. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really paying any attention. You know, I'm training. So I sign this form. I go to what I thought was my time and date. And the trainer at the time is like, Mikey, you don't have the octagon today. And I'm like, What do you mean? I signed the form. He's like, No, no, no. You signed the fight registry for the UFC title card for amateurs. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you signed the fight registry for the UFC title card for amateurs to fight in Vegas on the 12th. I was like, can we cancel that? And he was like, <laughs> sure. So basically, they have this big emblazoned thing like in the middle of the gym with everybody's names who's doing that. Now, just explain something to you about the UFC gym. Yeah? So I'm a big dude. There are, like, bigger dudes than me, and there's so much testosterone there that you can bottle it. Like, but there's can... egos there? <laughs> Dude. So, like, the equivalent of going up and ripping your name down from something like that is just basically, like, you know, emblazing in big words, like, 
I am just not a man. Yeah. So I, I just didn't have the heart to do that for a long time. And actually, like, for a while until the 12th, it was still there. I just didn't want to take it down. I just didn't go to the fight. The point when it really got real for me is when, like, the health insurance letters started coming. They were like, <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to pay any of your expenses if you die in this ring. It's not covered under your policy. And also, like, we're raising money right now. And, like, in the process, they're like, oh, yeah, does the CEO have any significant risk to his life because it's going to affect the money-raising process? I was like, right. hmm, I think I'd better not do this. Right, so the tech company you're raising money for right now, yeah. the insurance companies weren't happy about <laughs> yeah. you potentially dying yeah. in a Vegas match. Vegas match. Your opponent was He's a Russian, Russian air right. killer. Yeah, so basically he has no internet presence, first of all. Um, his name is Vladyaska Monosov. And basically, he's that's the real name. I, mean, I know you have brownie sounds... points for just pronouncing that. <laughs> it took me a while, but um, yeah. So basically, he. So um, you you tried to social media stalk him. I tried to social media stalk him. Nothing came up, like zero. And then I was like, oh, this is really weird. So I just like started asking some of the guys in the gym. They're like, so wait, you're fighting the dude who basically like got in a fight with a bear and survived, right? You do know that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. I think I'm not going to do this. Side note, Micah did indeed decide not to fly to Vegas and instead lives to fight another day. So <laughs> there's a lot of things we're going to get into, but yeah. a, a question about this UFC, like why did you get into that in the first place? Is there all this misplaced aggression? Because you no. you're a very sweet, nice guy. That is surprising. I go out of my way to be that person, but we'll get into it later on. But I came from a very rough part of South London and that never really goes away. And I try and like channel all of that into either working hard or just away from people. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's where all of that comes from. To build up your reputation, you got into street battling. So it was it was it was basically rap battles. Someone would come up to me, Mike, you got lyrics. I'm like, yeah, bruv, let's go. Like what grade? What age? Um, you know, like, like you're a cute little third grader. <laughs> or we're talking like sixth grade. Maybe from about like 11, 12, really. I don't know if you know that this podcast, the name of this podcast is No Bars to Spit. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't and it came up very organically because... Nobody we, usually spits bars. Right. We came in here trying to do music and we realized it was three white boys and none of us know how to rap. <laughs> But you, on the other hand, yeah. you have a little bit I got uh, a, few a pedigree. Bars. I, got, I got a few, got a few bars to spit. So, Jared, do you have any idea of a word give me we a should word, give bro. Micah? I mean, should we give him canvas? I like that. All, All right, let's start with canvas. Let's slow it down. We'll say social sentiment is around. Canvas is already running the town from the lower east side to the upper west side down. I would think that the cerebral cortex is stressed without the money that you make with every single stress. And I stress that Jared's the man and he's the best. He brings it for every second. Bless. And if you haven't already seen it, breakouts up in the mix. Don't get it twisted because we're doing this. We fix everything that comes out from canvas to super selection to disdirection and disdirection. Oh, the man them over there lose their erection when they think about the fact that canvas is killing every single section of every single media disdirection. And I think about this it's a new direction. I love it. <laughs> I think Mike could be here all day. Words. I could bring it, man. So I don't really know your story about why you came over to here to America. Sure. Was it because of being an actor or was that solely? No, that was a side thing. So this is this is the thing. So, so I grew up, yeah, I grew up in South London. So um, my family, we lived in a place called Catford, which is kind of like the Brownsville. I mean, like there's, there's worse parts of London, but it, it's a rough area. Um, for a while, and before that, we lived in Campbell next to Brixton, which was like the roughest area in London. So there was that, but um, you know, I did really well at school, um, and I kind of got out of that environment. And I was working on the trading floor at Barclays for a little bit. I was really bored after that, after that, after a while. Uh, and then after Barclays, then I basically went and I started my own company in the HR space and sold that. And then, um, like, my family got the opportunity uh, to get the green card lottery. 
So yeah. we had an uncle who lived in Florida. So we all got green cards, which was really, really cool. So I didn't have to go through the immigration mess that I hear a lot of my English friends talking about all the time. So I just moved to Florida. I did some consulting work there. Loved it. Um, we ended up actually going back to the UK just to tidy up a couple of things. And then I got a job at Aon as a data scientist. And then I was with Aon for like four or five years. Um, I went. I eventually, when I left, I was at director level. Um, so basically, the story with them is they moved me back to Florida for a little bit to do some pension stuff, like around data analytics. It's just real business stuff. That's all going over my head. <laughs> so you did a lot. I did a lot, and I got to director level. End of story. And they moved me to the US with expenses. Yeah. And then I got to New York. And you got to remember, up to this point, like I'd done all this artistic stuff when I was younger, but then I'd had this like four or five years of right. focus. Right, suit tie in the right. real world. And I get to New York, and I'm like, damn. I'm in the artistic, the the most, you know, kind of like artistic hub in the world of all these awesome people. Why don't I, the, at the very least, explore what there is outside of suit and tie world? Right. And then, like, I did a couple of movies and I was in a couple of commercials. You're on Empire. I was on Empire for a little bit. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's the, the next season, but not the one that's coming out, the next season. But, um, like, yeah, no, just... I just, I just really, like, got into the other side of who I was. And then like, I've just carried that. Now is what I do for my company, like, to the point where it's like, what I do. So, so when you're going into meetings <laughs> with potential investors yeah. or clients that you're going to sales to, yeah. who do you bring to that meeting? Is it the UFC fighter, <laughs> the data scientist, the so Midwestern predominant, the Midwestern, usually not the American. Just, I bring me. Like, so I am a... I am a configuration, a, a compilation of different people. No person is ever just one person or one thing. And yeah, I've definitely been in meetings where it's like you're getting down to talking about metadata, individual aspects of how code works. And usually in those conversations is where I thrive. But sometimes in those same conversations, we'll bring in some of these aspects. No, no person is ever just one thing. And that's one thing that definitely living in New York has taught me, like, um, in terms of the talents that every single person brings to the table, you should never shoehorn a person into one particular role or aspect of what they do because everyone is multifaceted. And then the other side of it, some people just love one thing that they do and that's that's who they are. But, uh, you know, especially in kind of the company where we're employing more people and we're trying to raise more money and we're, there's lots of different aspects of how being a CEO... Um, who you are as a person directly translates to who you are in the world. I guess it came a little bit organically why you came to America. Mm -hmm. What's the what's the big story in your life for like why you got on this path? Like why are you so driven to succeed? So when I was about 14, I was going to this school called Deptford Green, doing very well there, even though it was a really rough school. And all the teachers there, when you see someone with any kind of academic performance, um, ability to perform academically, they try and get behind them, which they were doing with me. However, like, I had this guy, he was this great friend of mine. He was, like, the street dude. Like, he was the only reason I could do what I was doing. Because usually what happens in the classroom in environments like that is if you do very well, like, the other street dudes or other people start to ask you for help. And then, like, you've got double workload because now you're helping them and you're doing your own thing. And you can't say no to these guys because you get outside the door and it's like, yo, what happened? <laughs> so, so this guy was, like, he was my dude. He was yeah. the only reason I could do what I was doing academically and have a future. So, you know, we go through like maybe three years of this. He's cool. He's doing his thing. He got arrested a couple of times. Somehow still stayed in school, though, which was amazing. So we get to like the last year of school. Really good. Things are going really good for me. And then basically he had a fallout with a, a certain dude, like a really serious dude, like a serious, serious dude. So this dude actually comes to me and goes, uh, I need you to bad my boy in terms of saying like, things that aren't true just go around like just say the things that aren't true about him so that like we can the get guy who has beef with your good friend yeah he came to you. me yeah 
And I was like, bro, I can't do that. Interesting judgment on right. this guy. I know. The reason I guess he thought that he could do that to me is because I'm this academic guy in a street environment and, you know, I'm not whatever. So we're in a public place. We're having this conversation. He's got, like, maybe three dudes behind him. And, like, he's basically stressing, listen, you need to do what I'm saying. You need to do this right now. This is important to me. I'm like, bro, I'm not going to do that. I'll walk away from him. So these three dudes come after me. I knocked one out. Um, the other one just, like, got his jaw broken and something happened to hey, the other dude. Three guys are coming after you, yeah. and your first thought process is, I'm fighting back. Not- well, yeah, the thing is, for this is what I'm saying. Like, as, who I am as a person, like, I'm talking to the street dude, we're having a conversation. Yeah. Like, in that space, you deserve respect. I'm, you know, like, we're in, like, mode number one of the three that I described. Then he went to mode number two. You're saying to me, like, oh, you know, betray your best friend, this person who's the only reason that you right. can have a chance of getting out of where you are. Then, like... Now he's crossed into mode number three. Now, I'm never, I never start fights. I, I hate violence. But if you mess, it's going to happen. So I'm walking away. These guys attack me. Like, I didn't right. start this altercation. So anyway, this happens. Um, and then they're on the floor. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm going to class. I forget about it. So basically what happens, when that happens in an environment like that, it's not a case of someone's, like, going to have, like, another fight with you. It's outside of the school classroom people are going to hunt you down and probably end your life. Oh, jeez. So I kind of knew that, but I didn't think it would apply to me. He's starting to arrange stuff like this. My friend tells me about it. So basically what happens is he, my friend, the, the person who's right. like, yeah. You stood up for. He took responsibility for this whole situation. Like, um, it had been in a public place, but then when everyone, everyone didn't see what happened. Like, it was just like a few people. So he said he beat these guys up. He took responsibility for the whole situation. Because of that, it started like a whole chain of events. He's still alive, but it ended up like in some serious street stuff. But the whole point of that, that stuff would have been directed to me. If right, he so hadn't if he hadn't that. stepped up and taken right. his name on that, right. you might be in a whole other I, I might not even be here, to be honest with you. So if it would, literally, I count a lot of the events of my life down to that. Also down to, like, my parents. They were great. They were very grounded and religious, and they, they like, kept me focused. And having religion in an environment like that puts you in a different world to the world that's around you. So there's that. But mostly, literally, that one event and that set of events that I kicked off, I literally wouldn't have any of the opportunity to do anything I'm doing right now if he hadn't stepped up then. And I, that is probably one of the most important stories of my life.